0: Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up rockabilly track. Now collecting green herbs. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. KNS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the amazing nerd show hey this is christian hey this is damon and this is the amazing nerd show all right on this week's podcast we're
1: going to be reviewing netflix's resident evil and we're also counting down our favorite
0: horror films of 2022 so far plus we're talking week two night one of AEW's fighter fest all right, but before we move on, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're at it, give us a five-star review and DM us a screenshot.
1: Not only will we read it on the show, but we'll send you some amazing nerd show swag. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning potential spoilers for upcoming films and shows ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first, we have a huge Fantastic Four rumor on when we could be possibly meeting the first member of the team. And it's a
0: lot sooner than you think. With Comic-Con always comes a plethora of rumors. And one of those that have been like floating around recently has been from the Diz Insider Show um, about the potential casting and first appearance of Fantastic Four's Ben Grimm, AKA The Thing. Currently, it's rumored that Jason Segel of How I Met Your Mother and Forgetting Sarah Marshall fame could play Ben Grimm, which I genuinely could actually picture being a great fit for this role. But what was more surprising about this rumor was that his first appearance could be ahead of the Fantastic Four altogether, having him appear in an episode of She-Hulk on Disney+. We have seen Disney Plus shows, you know, feature a lot of surprises lately in some of their series. So I won't say it's impossible, but you would think, you know, they would want to you know, do the whole reveal of the Fantastic Four on screen together. That being said, they did just show a variant of Mr. Fantastic in Multiverse of Madness. So, yeah, I, I kind of hate everything about this rumor. Honestly, I hope it's not
1: true. It just feels so anticlimactic for him to just pop up and she Hulk. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess I could see it being the case of, you know, Ben Grimm, you know, before he gets his powers, um, you know, shows up on the show. Um, but even that feels anticlimactic to me. And I, I, I don't really like the casting of Jason Siegel as Ben Grimm. Um, and maybe that's because, you know, my only exposure to him as an actor is through, uh, you know, the that sitcom, what what, what was it called? Christian? How, How I Met Your yes, Mother. There we go. So it, he just doesn't feel like a fit for the character at all for me. Uh, so I don't know, I'm hoping that this isn't true. Like maybe it's like a brief (laughs) cameo at the, like during the finale or something like that. Um, but I don't know, like, I mean, so basically the fantastic four would have to already exist, Mm -hmm. you know, in this world, if he's showing up as the thing and that would just feel weird to me, uh. So that makes me feel like it's most likely ben grimm who's showing up maybe but i mean who knows i mean we've already met a version of reed already uh multiverse of madness so maybe we do get the thing and like the fantastic four movie is a flashback you know to like a year prior or something i mean there has been that rumor that possibly the fantastic four you know got their powers from the blip somehow Um, just the same rumor we heard about the X-Men, you know, (laughs) mutants Uh getting their powers from the blips, so I don't know. That just seems like the go-to catch-all, like, theory on the internet at this point.
0: Well, I doubt that's the reason. I do think that when we get the Fantastic Four film, they're probably going to do, you know, either it'll just be a flashback or they'll allude to their origins. I don't think they're going to show the actual origin story we've seen it on the screen so many times at this Mm -hmm. point that i feel
1: like they could fast forward through that you know like we can just go ahead and you know jump into like you know maybe day one you know with them as a team um you know already powered up and everything um i don't feel like you need to do an extensive origin background just because like it just feels like water that we've treaded already right Mm-hmm. So I would be totally fine with that. Like, even if it jumps into them, like, in the middle of their first mission, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, have them, like, fighting the
0: mole man in the middle of, like, New York City. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Uh-huh. Also, you're giving Jason Segel a hard time. He's, he's, ha- he's a great comedian. I feel like in the right, you know, role, he could possibly be a good Ben Grimm. You just haven't seen him in any of his I comedies. I someone who's, like, gruff, you know, uh-huh. as Ben Grimm.
1: <laughs> you know, he's need to ha- He needs to have gravel in his throat, you know, like that's my Ben Grimm. So it's going to be a hard sell for me. And, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I mean, maybe I'll end up loving him playing the character if he is playing the character. But right now I just I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that. Alright, moving on, we also have another rumor about
0: another character's MCU debut. That's right, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. star Chloe Bennett may be making her return as Quake. Industry source KC Walsh commented on a post on Twitter, and I'm totally paraphrasing here, but it was about how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like the rest of the Defender shows, are going to be you know treated as different universes outside of the 616, and how when we see Quake next, she'll be kind of a different character, you know, featuring bits and pieces from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a nod to, you know, those diehard fans. Casey Walsh would go on to state, you know, this is how they are going to kind of do soft reboots for all these characters. People have also speculated on Bennett's, you know, return possibly being in Secret Invasion, but the actress has denied her involvement. Though, can you really trust any actor after what, you know, Andrew Garfield pulled? Yeah, and I'm sure she probably,
1: like, signed an NDA saying that, you know, she has to deny any involvement Uh. in the show. So uh, who can blame her then, right? Uh, I love the fact, I mean, if this is true, I love the fact that they're bringing Quake out of, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, you know, into the MCU proper. I think she's a great character in the comics and on that show. You could tell that it's kind of a passion project, too, for Chloe Bennett. Uh, She even voiced the character in the uh, Marvel Rising uh, animated series. Oh, okay. So if Quake is indeed going to show up in the Secret Invasion series... I'm super excited that it's going to be Chloe Bennett playing her. I'm all for them doing like a soft, you know, reboot for these characters from, you know, you know, the former Marvel TV, um, you know, the department that wasn't run by Kevin Foggy. I just feel like it's the easiest way to bring them into the MCU uh, without having to worry so much about their previous like continuity, you know, just kind of assume that, you know, your audience knows just enough and have Like, just enough working knowledge about the character. And that way, you don't have to like retell their origin stories Mm. all over again. So um,
0: I think that's the smartest way to go about it. Yeah, I don't need to watch Daredevil get shit thrown into his face again. You know, it's all good. We we get it. We know how this happened.
1: (laughs) Shit thrown in. It's like you're quoting Stan Lee, Christian. It's amazing. (laughs) And then he gets shit thrown in his face and he's got powers. The end.
0: That's how it worked, all right. Daredevil, bitches.
1: (laughs) You're a fucking poet. And hell, I'm for them bringing, like, half the team back from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, there's no reason why we can't get, like, Agent
0: May, right? No, she was, like, one of the best parts of that whole series. No, she's a great character. Um, Do you bring Coulson back from the dead? They could, but I feel like it's not going to weigh as much, especially since half the team's gone. (laughs) He's, like, the biggest, like, you know, plot hole,
1: right? For Uh the whole series, because they (laughs) never reintroduced him into the mcu you know except for obviously in a flashback for, uh, in captain marvel but otherwise you've got a lot of, of explaining to do if he shows up so like he might actually be the main reason why they don't want to consider agents of shield like part of you know the mcu's continuity at this point
0: but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a scroll running around as Phil Coulson in Secret Invasion. Yes, right, and get everyone
1: excited and everything like uh-huh. that, and then all of a sudden, yeah, they take it all away from you. Total, total <laughs> dick boner moment. Exactly. <laughs> Bastards. Alright, up next, it looks like Madam Web's release date was pushed back.
0: Yes, sadly, Madam Webb has been pushed back from July 7th, 2023 to October 2023. While there's no official reason for the pushback, sites like Collider have suggested that Sony may have, you know, moved the film to put more space between this film and you know the upcoming Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse and the delayed Flash film that are set for you know releases close to it in June. But funny enough, with the announcement of that delay, we also got an an announcement for another Sony project in Insidious 5 that will now be taking the place of Madam Webb on that July 7th release. Also, on the Madam Webb front, it looks like they casted Adam Scott in a
1: role that, you know, is undisclosed at this point. Uh, Adam Scott is from Parks and Rec. I don't know if you watched that series at all, Christian. No, no, I know him. Yeah, okay. I know him. Okay. Yeah. He's a great actor, so cool. Hmm. I have no idea who's fucking playing the So. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see exactly what the hell this movie's about, because at this point, I still have no clue. I'm exactly. guessing that it's really just, like, a low-key, like, Spider-Girl film. Because I just can't imagine, like, the entire film being completely centered around Madame Webb running around, you know, on missions and shit. Because it just, it goes against the grain of who she is
0: as a character mm-hmm. in the comic books, but... Who knows? It's Sony, right? Exactly. Uh, it'll be Morbin time anytime with <laughs> Madame Web. But uh, I, yeah, I just I was hoping for something out of San Diego Comic Con well, to happen. I mean, we'll we'll see. There's still the rest of the weekend, so yeah. There, do they have a panel announced? I don't know. (laughs) I haven't heard anything about Sony being there. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting.
1: That being said, make sure you tune in next week as we'll have full coverage of San Diego Comic-Con since we record on Thursday. And there's really no news at this point. All right, moving on. Up next, we have casting news
0: for DC's upcoming Zatanna film. Looks like DC is tapping into the pop star well again as far as this rumor goes from a film fan account that claims anonymous sources say... Dua Lipa is in talks with Warner Brothers Discovery for the role of Zatanna. While there's been no confirmation of her getting the role, we do know the film is currently in the works, uh, with J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Productions working with Academy Award winner Emerald Fennell as its writer. Yeah, we haven't heard anything about this project in a while, right? Mm-hmm. There was actually
1: a rumor a couple months back saying that like Discovery was upset with the progress uh, that bad robots made so far with all of its like DC projects or just the lack of progress mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, so I don't know I mean we'll see what happens because it sounds like the new people in charge of you know Warner Discovery whatever the hell they're calling the merger uh, really are taking no shit from anyone so they they're not afraid <laughs> to cut ties
0: if need be. I like to hear that because they were handed a mess.'ll we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. All right, next we have Mortal Kombat sequel news. So it looks like New Line Cinema will be green the next Mortal Kombat film, and it's gonna be, again, directed by Simon McCoy, who has, you know, made several strides to say online that he read everyone's critiques and will be learning from the first film. There was a lot of them, Christian. <laughs> yes, there was, there was quite a bit. <laughs> Did he just finish uh, reading them? <laughs> I guess. But at this point, I feel like for them to make a successful sequel, there's so much they would have to retcon from the first one. Well, I don't know what the point is, other than to just start over fresh. Here, I got a suggestion. How about you actually
1: have the film have a fucking tournament, right? Because <laughs> it is called Mortal Kombat. Uh huh. But there was no fucking tournament. <laughs> That's your first note, right? Like that should be your first note from you know the studio
0: where's the tournament dummy like, <laughs> who forgets the tournament i mean there's enough interesting characters in mortal kombat that if they wanted to do separate films with like a couple characters here and there that's fine that's they do fine. spin-offs though
1: yes you know i mean don't call it mortal kombat if there isn't going to be mortal kombat yes <laughs> and i'm hoping this time around we're not following once again like plot armor mcgee like, mm-hmm. it was, he was just so fucking bland. It just felt so unnecessary when you literally have an arsenal of like awesome characters at your disposal. You choose to invent your own lame one
0: to be the main character. <laughs> Made no fucking sense. No, it was it was a train wreck. I, I can't believe I almost rented out a theater. To watch that movie with Fred, like, i was that was my idea oh my at the time. God. Like, let's get everyone together let's go watch this in theaters and we'll rent one completely by ourselves and
1: honestly they would have saved the whole movie for me if they would have had like the original like soundtrack like the main theme <laughs> from the soundtrack playing. <laughs> like well at least i got to hear that like i would have like given it a passing grade you know at the end of the day if i got to at least hear like someone screaming <laughs> at the top of the lung. <laughs> And then some bad techno music blasting. That's all they had to do.
0: I'm a simple man. What can I
1: say? But they couldn't even get that right.
0: They couldn't Uh even get that right. (laughs) I let it go because that's what they're doing with all the movies at this point. They're just taking every theme and tweak it. It's (laughs) inexcusable. They didn't even tweak the theme, though. It
1: didn't even show up. (laughs) All right. And lastly, it looks like more Fear Street is coming to Netflix.
0: In an interview confirmed by Bloody Disgusting, R.L. Stein let it slip that there's gonna be some more Fear Street films on the way. Bloody Disgusting would go on to say, Netflix is already deep into development with these movies and we'll see what's coming up next in the near future. So my book, This Is Great News, I love those films on Netflix last year. Uh,
1: They actually, I think two of them made my uh, top 10 like horror film lists for 2021. So uh, I'm hoping that they can get the director back, uh, Lee Janik. I I think that's how you say your name. I might be destroying it. I apologize. Uh, But uh, she did a great job of really like capturing like the spirit of like each like subgenre for each film, you know, that each film like kind of like dabbled in. So, uh, but yeah, no, here's to hoping to a brand new trilogy. Maybe someday I'll, I'll watch those other two films. So I know you weren't a fan of the first film and I agree with a lot of the issues you had with it. Uh, but the movies do go on to get stronger. So I would definitely check them out if I were you. Uh, I would almost like prefer though, if they just did like a season, like if it was just They went to like a series instead of doing it like as a trilogy of films each time out because it just felt like the story lend itself better to like an episodic, you know, type of format Um, because there was that much meat on the bone and like all the stories were so intertwined and I don't know like how well they would actually hold up on their own, if that makes any sense. Regardless, I thought they were fantastic and they're definitely worth checking out. So Christian, while we're talking about horror, uh, we also got our first trailer for Halloween Ends this week. Come on, let's go. So right off the bat, I was super excited that this was just a teaser trailer, a true teaser trailer, and they didn't give us the entire film. I felt like they did that last, um, last film, you know, with a trailer where they, you know, basically showed us exactly what the fuck was going to happen in the movie. So I, I appreciate that this was very brief and to the point. Uh, but yeah, we start off with a classic like Halloween POV shot uh, with Michael stalking someone in a house. Uh, then we see that it's actually Laurie Strode who, of course, is waiting for him. Uh, last time we saw Michael, he just killed Laurie's uh, daughter, so I'm sure she's even more vengeance-driven than ever before. I know there's supposed to be some kind of time jump that takes place here, and obviously, you know, it's Halloween again, so at least a year has gone by. Uh, if not more, uh, but after the scene, we go straight to montage mode. We see some familiar characters from the last two films. Uh, we see Laurie's granddaughter we see that deputy that Laurie's like sweet on Uh, a lot of people are getting choked you know but it's very brief so it's really hard to make out exactly what's going on Uh, but after that uh, we see what looks to be probably I'm gonna guess the third act of the film with Michael stalking Laurie in a dark house Uh, they go at it in a kitchen Uh, it looks like he's about to shove her hand down to garbage disposal and then she of course stops him by stabbing him through the hand and that's how the teaser ends it's kind of abrupt and a weird point to end the teaser but whatever Um, so I'll be completely honest while everything we saw in the teaser was fine uh, this did really nothing to get me excited for this movie at all and I mean that's partially due to, like, Halloween Kills being such a letdown. Like, I wasn't a huge fan of Halloween 2018, but it was head and shoulders a better film than Halloween Kills. That was just a mess of a movie. So, like, right away, I'm just kind of, like, over the storyline and want to move on now, you know, with just kind of a fresh start for the franchise. Like, just give me Michael stalking teenagers. You know, like I yeah. and like go back to like, you know, the roots of the first film. Like I don't need Michael to be in this like supernatural killing machine. Like I'd much rather have him stalking in the shadows like Carpenter originally had the character doing. Like I feel like that is so much more effective, and that's the Halloween I'd love to see them to actually like, you know, remake or just restart new. Like in that first film, obviously, like Lori's not even his sister, so I mean Who's to say you can't restart the story again in the 70s and just have Michael, you know, stalking a random group of babysitters again? I mean, you could have his origin story still intact. Um, You know, you could have Dr. Loomis hunting him down. You just don't need to have the Laurie Strode character at all in the story for it to work. I don't know. That's just me. And I think, you know... Part of it's because we've already, you know, seen this story play out in like H2O and Halloween Resurrection, even though Halloween Resurrection's awful. You know, don't get me wrong. And I forgive me for even bringing it up, but, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> but we've been down this road already. We've seen this mm-hmm. story play out at this point. I just don't think you need Laurie
0: Strode to make a good Halloween film. I mean, I'm in the same boat, but I just don't think there's going to be a studio that has the balls to... To make it a simplified film, I feel like they're all gonna go back to trying to just make it a gore fest every single time. I think that's they see how that's you know succeeds. They know it's what people want. They want that Halloween spectacle of Michael running around stabbing people. It'll be a better film. But, to I mean, you know, he he stabs plenty of people in the first movie, but and it still works. Yes, but-
1: I don't, you know, and I mean, this all really started with the sequel, you know, th- that's mm-hmm. when they started to get more gorier and everything like that. So, I mean, it started long ago, um, but it, it doesn't have to be that way. Like, If you look at films like The Strangers, they basically took the template of what Carpenter did in the first Halloween,
0: mm-hmm. you know, and
1: just kind of expanded on it and did their own thing. That movie was all about suspense and tension. Like, I would love for them to just go back to basics. And I know you're right. You're you're probably not gonna get that now. I mean, cause there is an audience that's been trained at this point that, you know, Michael Myers means like all these, you know, creative graphic kills. And don't get me wrong. I love that in a slasher film usually and I feel like you could probably like balance that to a certain extent. I want Michael to be the shape again. Like I want him like lurking in the shadows. I want him in the frame without you even noticing him until it's too late. Like that's the Michael I fell in love with. I mean, there's just something more frightening to me if Michael doesn't have a motive, you know, like if it's not all based around him going after his sister. Like, if it's just a case of him being truly pure evil. Like, it's a lot more frightening to me if he just randomly shows up somewhere, you know, and, you know, slaughters a bunch of teenagers uh, than if it's
0: a case of him just stalking his sister. No, it's definitely more horrifying when there isn't a
1: motive. Like, it's just
0: unfathomable, you know?
1: And it's a a, a storyline that Carpenter himself hates. (laughs) I think he said (laughs) in interviews it was something that he just threw in to uh, part two's script because he needed a reason for Michael to show up at the hospital going mm. after Jamie Lee Curtis again. I mean, I'm fine if they throw in a couple, you know, gory kills here and there, but like, I feel like there's a good balance
0: that they could meet that could really give us a great film. But nonetheless, that's definitely not what we're getting here in Halloween ends. No. <laughs> and maybe they surprise us, you know, maybe
1: they, you know, somehow do go back to, you know, Michael's roots, but I don't. I, I, I mean, these were films back-to-back, right? I don't think they're... I'm not sure. I think that was the original plan, but I think the pandemic got in the way of doing that. Gotcha.
0: Well, all right, Halloween ends. Comes to theaters
1: October 14th. So we're a little past the halfway mark for 2022, and I thought this would be the perfect time to discuss some of the best horror offerings this year so far. Especially since due to a crazy start of this year for me personally, I hadn't really been able to review most of these films when they first came out. So maybe this is just a glorified excuse for me to play catch up on the podcast, but... Hey, whatever, here's my top five horror films of 2022 so far. And now,
0: Damon's top five horror films of 2022 so far. Number five, Scream. You're all in danger.
1: What? Where? Sydney?
0: I've seen this movie before. Not this movie.
1: Scream 2022 is a return to form of sort for the franchise and by far the best installment since the original sequel. With a running theme tackling Hollywood's current trend of requels and elevated horror, this film is both vicious and fun and possibly, fingers crossed, the first step into finally moving the series forward from the original core cast. Here's to hoping next year's sequel can continue the momentum built here.
0: Number four, You Won't Be Alone. i Jesus.
1: You Won't Be Alone is a poetic horror folktale by first-time director Goran Stolvinsky. It's an enchanting nightmare that definitely won't be for everyone. This hypnotic, slow-paced story about a girl who's kidnapped and turned into a witch by an ancient evil spirit is as much about our main character's lust for life and unbridled curiosity as it is about the supernatural. Stolvinsky is a brilliant visual storyteller who's able to say a lot with very little dialogue, and his choice just to have the horror take place in these beautiful scenic settings make this film feel even more unnerving. All these elements combined with the fact that this is his first movie makes this film feel special and like the arrival of our next great genre director, but only time will tell. Number three, X.
0: Farmer's Daughter, take one. I need to be famous, Wayne. All the best people are. There ain't nobody else out there like you you know uh, why? Why? you got that X factor.
1: So X is actually one of the horror films I was able to review on the podcast this year. Uh, we're following a group of people in the late 70s who want to make a highbrow porno film, as you know, people do. Uh, so they rent a guest house on an older couple's farm to shoot their masterpiece. But once the elderly couple finds out what's going on, shit goes awry. X serves as a beautiful homage to not only the slasher subgenre, but to slow-burn 70s horror. Anchored by a great dual performance by Mia Goth, you'll never look at Grandpa and Grandma the same again, trust me. Uh, It's a film that leaves you with more questions than answers, but that all makes sense since this was apparently part of a planned trilogy. It's really just a well-crafted film. And I just love the fact that indie horror director Ty West is finally getting the flowers he deserves from the mainstream. So if you haven't had a chance to check out X yet, definitely do. Number two, The Black Phone.
0: Daddy, I had a dream about it. What happened in your dream? He was taken. By a man with black balloons? Yes. We never released those details.
1: The Black Phone is directed by Scott Derrickson and based on a short story by Joe Hill. This truly effective horror film relies more on atmosphere and performances than jump scares and horror tropes. The Grabber is terrorizing a small town, abducting and murdering children in his basement. Little does he know that it's his deceased victims that are going to help his latest victim fight for his life. Ethan Hawke is absolutely frightening as the grabber, and Derrickson manages to capture just how scary it can be as a child, especially growing up in the 70s. The Black Phone does an amazing job of balancing real-life horror with the supernatural as we watch a boy learn to stand up for himself in the face of true evil. Number one, The Sadness. i found you. The sadness is not for the squeamish and sure doesn't give a shit about your feelings. It's a transgressive punch to the gut laced with social commentary. First time director Rob Jabaz gives us a pandemic that unleashes everyone's id and turns it up to 20. The result is a plague of homicidal maniacs who commit some of the most horrific atrocities ever captured on film. Bleak and relentless, the sadness is an experience that horror fans will never forget. And that's why it's number one on my list for horror films of 2022 so far. So that was short but sweet, but a real solid start of the year for the genre. Uh, make sure to stay tuned as we plan on staying more current with our reviews horror-wise, especially with our schedules starting to free up, as we seemingly do have a lot of great movies on the horizon in 2022. So here's to hoping for a fantastic second half of the year. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped hey you got bush well you definitely do if you haven't tried the best products from our sponsor today manscape taking control of your bush is important these products are so good you're going to be showing pride in your new bush free yard it's a fact that you'll have the best kept nutsack on the cul-de-sac so save big and be the most hygienic version of yourself by using our discount code 20nerdshow for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com.
0: Listeners, you know I don't got bush because Manscaped helps keep my rocket raccoon high and tight. Whether you're looking to go bald like an eagle or just in need of a safe trim, Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game.
1: Listeners, the grooming package I highly recommend is the Performance Package 4.0. That's because inside the package is the Lawnmower 4.0. This electric trimmer is a bush's worst nightmare. This trimmer is designed to reduce grooming accidents and shave hair on loose skin thanks to its ceramic blades and advanced skin-safe
0: technology. No need for night vision goggles, this trimmer has a LED light to allow you to mow the lawn in the dark. It's basic landscaping. When you trim the hedges, the tree stands taller. The second best tool in the performance package is the Weed Whacker. This fine-tuned nose and ear hair trimmer will make sure your nasty nose pubes are under control. Instantly
1: add some pep to your step with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Spray-On Testy Toner. With a performance package purchase, you get two free gifts, a shed travel bag, and the patterned high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxers. They have a bunch of other products on their website to help you maximize your confidence and grooming game. So
0: listeners, get 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. Kate Bush may be trending at the moment, but your bush needs some help. That's right, so
1: make sure you're running up that hill and get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com by using our code 20NerdShow. It's time to level up your grooming game with the ultimate bushwhacking tools from Manscaped.
0: All right, Christian, this past week you watched a brand new series, huh? That's right, I watched Netflix's Resident Evil. Warning spoiler alert. Major spoilers for Resident Evil ahead. You have been warned.
1: The T virus. The T virus can make monsters. Billions will die. Everyone, keep your mouth shut.
0: From the trailers, I was pretty interested in this series, and I know Netflix is looking for their next big win and has been slinging around money to a lot of different properties. And me, you know, being a long time Resident Evil fan, I had some hope for this to be kind of a decent Resident Evil show. And while there are plenty of fun elements to this show with callbacks and nods to the game's canon, its storyline, inconsistencies, and overall horrible writing and unlikable characters make for an incredibly hard watch in the end. But let's you know start with the positive, since that list is a bit shorter. Um, you could tell you know the show was you know heavily influenced by the game's storylines. From its zombies to its cultists, there were a lot of moments that I pointed at the screen saying, hey, that was definitely inspired by this or that. The attention to detail and how, you know, monstrosities are created by the T-Virus was handled very well, especially with their effects and CGI not being overused or overshown, like some series that we've been getting recently, where they kind of put the CGI effects in broad daylight where you can see all their little, you know, mistakes that they make. This show did a great job of hiding its special effects to better immerse the viewer which i appreciate you know on an editing and cinematography note i think there was a lot of effort put into making things look as good as possible and while the action sequences were on the lesser side you know not as good or as well choreographed as maybe shows that we got like you know all of us are dead where the action was so heavy and you really felt everyone was at risk it still had that classic resident evil action vibe that longtime fans can expect from something like this but you know fancy effects and good action and good camera work only make for some spectacle here and there, and where this show fails is really in its dual narratives that feel so disjointed from one another, even though it's clear they were trying to pull parallels during the two separate time periods the show takes us through. In this, we you know follow the story of Jade Wesker in the year 2036 as she tries to find a way to you know manipulate or control the zombies or zeros in order to protect her family and community. And while that's happening, we also you know join Jade back in 2022 when she was 14, right before this new outbreak in New Raccoon City. As this kind of takes place sometime after the destruction of the first Raccoon City due to an outbreak that we you know we all know of from the game. In 2022, Jade's twin sister, Billy gets bitten after trying to stop her father, Albert Wesker's lab, from doing animal testing. From there, the T-virus brings a little bit more aggression out of Billy, but for some reason it's not really altering her genes like it has everyone else in the past that caused the big outbreaks. But still, the risk of having her lash out at moments is the main driving force as Jade and her sister try to find out what's really going on at Umbrella. Meanwhile in 2036, Jade is being hunted by Umbrella in which, you know, leads her to getting just about everyone she encounters killed as she makes mistake after mistake. Watching all this go down, at no point did I find a single character likable or relatable or, you know, worth caring about in the slightest. And the biggest reason for this is, you know, the wishy-washy writing that was attempting to make big twist moments happen for each episode. But what really happened in the end was that each character was just just constantly contradicting themselves at every moment. Young and old Jade specifically would, you know, tell us how they feel and then make choices that went against that or, you know, change their whole direction mid-conversation without any real reason. Young Jade was the hardest to watch because it felt like they were going for that, you know, Rue from Euphoria kind of character, but never really nailed down the relatable human aspect of the character. Instead, she was just obnoxious and kind of, you know, abusing her sister, who in the future, Jade is constantly calling her sister, Billy, you know, this evil thing that died when she was 14. But the show never really actually has that come to fruition. In fact, that plus many other moments Jade talks about in her past become massive plot holes that make what are supposed to be, you know, these parallel stories just completely derail from one another. The actress um, Ella Balanesca, which I hope I'm saying that correctly, um, who plays adult Jade, I feel did the best with what she was given. And I could see her in other lead roles um, for action series or films. I kept picturing her as like a, you know, Tomb Raider or Indiana Jones-like character. And really, I don't think it was any of the cast issues for this show. I I feel like most of the cast really fit the characters that they were trying to play. Like Lance Reddick, who was playing Resker, you know, did a great job playing like these multiple roles that he had. Though I don't even want to go down the rabbit hole that all that Wesker shit was. I mean, honestly, somehow Netflix gave us a show worse than Lock and Key in the end. So with that said, before I bury this any further, I'm going to give Resident Evil a D- while as an adaptation to the game, there was a lot there that was faithful and or heavily inspired by the story. It's just the writing for this project absolutely destroyed anything it had going for it. This week's episode is also sponsored by athletic greens our next partner has a product i use literally every day i started taking athletic greens because i realized gamer foods like energy drinks and chips weren't all that nutritional i hated taking vitamins as well and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great and luckily with ag1 i've found a tropical flavored blend that i drink every single morning well christian that's because with one delicious scoop of ag1 you're absorbing 75 high quality
1: vitamins minerals whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy recovery focus, and aging, you know, all of the things. I even have my family hooked on it, Christian and they love it. We're even making sure to take it with us on vacation this summer.
0: Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is important for a recluse streamer like me that admittedly doesn't get enough sunlight. And let me tell you, I've never slept better and that's because AG1 supports better sleep quality
1: along with mental clarity and alertness.
0: And you also have to love the price. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and that's cheaper than buying all the supplements yourself. And we're not Alone in loving Athletic Greens because currently they have over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership
1: over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance.
0: And if that little eight-year-old girl will fight that hard for something that's not promised to her, well, daddy's got to do the same
1: thing. Saturday night... Saturday night, daddy's got to fight that hard to bring home the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships and bring home a legacy she can be proud of.
0: Saturday night. Uh, I I love y'all too. Saturday night, pay-per-view, death before dishonor, Briscoe's.
1: I'm gonna
0: fight like an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> well, all right, it's time to get into week two, night one, sure, of Fighter Fest. <laughs> hey, it started off with a banger, though. We had Brody King going over Darby Allen. Yeah, uh, nothing like witnessing a live homicide
1: in the middle of the ring, right? <laughs> Holy fucking shit! Like, I was expecting Brody to probably go over here, but not to like this degree. I mean, this was a slaughter, and I loved every fucking second of it. Um, They really built Brody up as, like, a monster. So I'm wondering, like, what they have in store for him uh, in the future. Jesus Christ, he just looked like a killer out there. Um, You know, we, yeah, Darby's smaller in stature, but, like, rarely do we see him get, like, dominated like this. Mm -hmm. And I know it was all to kind of, like, set up this storyline between, like, you know, Darby and Sting in the House of Black. But I don't, I don't know. This caught me off guard. Uh, But like I said, I I thought it was great. I mean, (laughs) I like that they're really setting up, you know, Brody is a monster. I mean, they don't have many wrestlers that you could really, like, put in that category, I feel like. Um, I mean, yeah, you've got Luchasaurus and, you know, you've got uh, Murderhawk, but I don't know. It's it's refreshing to see them push someone like
0: this. No, my first instinct was like, are they going to have him be like the foil for like Wardlow down the road? Like, will that be like, you know, the one guy that Wardlow just can't get oh, over? Oh, that would be. Is Brody King. Oh, well, I don't know about that, but I could see them setting up a match somewhere down
1: the road, you mm-hmm. know, between Wardlow and Brody King. And that's going to be a fucking banger. I mean, Wardlow was surprisingly not on the show this week. And I don't think he's on Rampage. I, I thought that was interesting. I don't know if he's hurt or if he's sick. Um, But you would think with, like, you know, him just winning the title that they would want to feature him or at least have some kind of, like, vignette with him in it. But that wasn't so at all. But they didn't even mention him, I don't believe, on the show. But like I said, I love this match. I mean, that Gonzo bomb. Like, I really was scared that, like, Darby was seriously hurt <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> like, I was just watching him to make sure he would move, you know. Uh, but I, I I loved everything that happened afterwards also. They didn't draw things out. They had both teams get into it right away. And then you had Miro showing up, uh, you know, and I'm guessing you're supposed to be, like, wondering what side he's going to be on. Uh, I'm guessing that he's going to side with Sting and Darby. I know he had the sunglasses on, and, I mean, they held the shot a little too long on him. uh, But (laughs) you could tell that they're trying to get over the fact that, like, one of his eyes might be blacked out from, you know, Malachi's mist. Um, I'm wondering if they're going to do something with Sting's makeup, since he was also misted. Could we see, like, him starting to get corrupted or something? That'd be kind of cool.
0: That'd be interesting. I don't know how far they're going to go with it. I just, I don't know. I don't... I, I hope it's I mean it's probably just gonna be team matches, right, between the three of them.
1: Um, I don't know. Like I can't see like Sting getting a singles match against Malachi. Yeah. You know, they've done a great job of protecting Sting at this point, point. rightfully so. He's in his sixties. <laughs> uh but I don't I, I really have no clue like where this feud goes. Right now, Buddy Murphy's in Australia apparently uh he'll be back at some point so maybe this turns into like a trios thing um which would make sense uh Mm -hmm. you know do they kind of like do they stretch this out to all out or is this going to be like a tv feud
0: i feel like they'll probably it'll be a match at all out at this point like i feel like they stretch it out that long because there's a lot of things that they can do it's going to be a lot of promos and stuff like that i'm imagining but You know, you're going to have a lot of face-to-face moments with Sting trying to go after them.
1: Yeah, and like you could tease, you know, what side Miro's on and everything, Mm -hmm. um,
0: you know, for the next couple weeks.
1: And then you finally have the big reveal of him siding with, you know, Sting and Darby, uh, which would be interesting. Uh, But yeah, and then you have the match set up, you know, perfectly for All Out. So that's probably where they're going to go. I would like to see Darby though, go on a singles run after this because I feel like he's been involved in a lot of these, like, you know, team feuds with Sting. Which, I mean, is fine for right now since, like, if you don't have any, like, championship, like, angles in store for the guy. But, like... I would like to see him at least pursue one of the titles. I mean, I know he had his run with the TNT belt, but I felt it feels like that was eons ago. <laughs> at this point, so let's see him, you know, chase after that belt or the All Atlantic or you know whatever title you know Tony you know introduces in the next couple months. So I mean, maybe even shows up on all, in like a ROH. On the flip side, I could say the same thing for Malachi Black. I'd like to see him go on like a singles run yes. too. Like, I feel like he should be, like, a top contender for the world title. You know, I mean, how great would uh, Melikai Black versus, a, I mean, how great would be, like, a TV feud between Black and Moxley right now over the interim uh, title? I feel like that's something that could get you through the next couple weeks until you mm-hmm. get the returns of, like, Punk and possibly Kenny Omega, which has been rumored lately. Uh, he might be actually making a comeback
0: before All Out, knock on wood. Uh, so i mean why not i don't know if they're saving like his big title push to like punk's back because you know that they will work very well together as well that's true that's true
1: it just feels like that main event title picture is so murky um mm-hmm. and i'm kind of anticipating like mjf to get involved at some point too like i could see that being really like the first feud punk gets into like he comes out like after punk you know beats Moxley and is like the, you know, named the true champion and then like, you know, MJF comes out and, you know, stakes his claim on the title and they reignite that feud. So and it's a perfect parallel, you know, for both of those characters, right? You know, before it was Punk who was like the voice of the voiceless and the, you know, rebel outlaw and now you're kind of painting MJF in that light. So and like Punk is like the old established guy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like that dynamic
0: would work perfectly, and I could totally see them going that route. Up next, we had a backstage moment where Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs interrupted Cole Carter, who's on his path for the FTW championship. So this is an NXT
1: 2.0 guy who got released uh, allegedly for some kind of wellness violation. So I was surprised to see him show up in AEW so quickly. Because it was uh-huh. just a recent violation.
0: <laughs> so, uh,
1: but whatever. I mean, maybe they believe his story or there's something behind that. You know, we don't know. Uh, but I was surprised also to like see him featured in such a predominant position on Dynamite, you know, going after Ricky Starks for, you know, the FTW title, which he doesn't really defend very often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe that's becoming a thing where he does these open challenges, uh, which it, it seems like they're going that route, you know, just by going off of what happens after the match. Ricky and Hobbs allude to a storyline where he gets killed <laughs> on NXT. Oh, okay. I have no idea what the fuck is going on on the other channel right now. Uh-huh. But apparently, he was part of this like mob group, and to write him off, they mentioned that he swims with the fishes now. So that's why they had the little Shark Week's hat. Um, and they mentioned like we and they mentioned we heard you swim with the fishes. Well, now you're swimming with the sharks. So it was a cute little line, I guess, acknowledging, you know, the other show's storylines <laughs> just feels weird for a guy who was like, I don't know, not heavily featured on the other show. Um, uh-huh. I, I don't know. Like, maybe he knows someone.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I like it's,
1: It was weird because usually typically like a wrestler this caliber because he's pretty green, you know, not a known established guy on NXT, really. Like, usually they get a tryout on uh, Dark or Elevation. But for some reason, he's getting a tryout on Dynamite. So I don't know exactly why that would be, especially when you have such a packed roster. You know, I mean, there's so many other wrestlers who are just sitting in the back waiting for something to do. So I don't know. Like, it just feels odd to me. Um, So I'm guessing Khan is high on him for some reason. Uh, but what we saw later on didn't do much to impress me, honestly.
0: Up next, we had a match between the Blackpool Combat Club, that's John Moxley and Wheeler Yuta going over the best friends while Orange Cassidy and William Regal kind of went back and forth on commentary, kind of.
1: So I would argue that this match took place maybe a month or two too late storyline-wise, but regardless, I mean, this was a fantastic match. I love the story they were telling in the ring, Yuta facing off his former mentors, uh, that friction that he has with uh, Trent, which they still never really, like, explain. I just really like the way they laid out the match, too, uh, where you kind of have Yuta, like, you know, fighting for his life in the middle of the ring and, you know, just a different side of Trent and Chuck. They felt a little more vicious, like they were trying to like prove a point to him and like Yuta refusing to back down uh, Mm -hmm. to the point where it felt like Moxley became like super protective and like (laughs) was really trying to like defend Yuta and everything like that. And there was a lot of moments in this match where I actually thought like the best friends were going to go over. Um, it really felt like they were going to beat, like, uh, Yuta and, like, maybe set up something, you know, between, like, you know, Moxley and, you know, the group. So I don't know. I just thought this match was a roller coaster ride, and I really enjoyed it. I
0: thought it was pretty fun how Orange Cassidy put that final bow on, you know, saying, yo, he learned that, you know, pin from Trent, that hold. That
1: was just the perfect touch, too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when all things come said and done, Yuta had to use a move he learned from the best friends to, like, win the match. So, I mean, and then Cassidy just kind of, like, nonchalant, like, mentioning it. Because he was, even for, like, his, like, character, he felt a little pissy. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, sitting there with uh, Regal. Uh, So I was kind of expecting that, like, maybe Cassidy would get involved somehow. Because I could see him possibly also having a TV feud with Moxley um, in between now and All Out. It feels like, you know, he's been on a bit of a streak and, you know, they've been really pushing him more as like a main eventer since he's, you know, come back from his injury. So I could see, you know, Moxley and Cassidy, like, you know, bumping heads at some point, especially if they decide to like continue this little program with, you know, the Combat Club and the Best Friends. It just feels like the perfect way to segue into like a singles feud you know, between Cassidy and Moxley.
0: Oh, they also missed an opportunity to have Daniel Garcia kind of like standing, facing towards the camera while his head looks at the screen. Oh, WWE style? Like, why- yeah, exactly. <laughs> why they he do that? He was kind of doing that.
1: They've done it before where they spoofed I that. I know. <laughs> I think at one point they had the Bucks like completely like turned
0: around and like looking over their shoulder. At uh-huh. the string, so. <laughs> I just feel like the Jericho appreciation society should be doing that at all times. <laughs> <laughs> I agree.
1: Have we gotten a singles match between Yuta and
0: Trent? I don't believe so. I don't think he had a singles match with him before at the, like the start when he first showed up. I feel like, see, for some reason, I feel like something did happen, but maybe I could be wrong.
1: Um, it was so long ago, right? Like since he joined mm-hmm. like the combat club and everything. Um, yeah, because I could see that possibly happening, you know, soon also, because that also feels like it would be like the climax of this, like, you know, feud. Um, if it is a feud, um, which it definitely has the makings of, you know, and I would be all for it, honestly. Like, I like the best friends with an edge, too. Yeah, You know, like, let's see, like, a more of a heelish version of the group. You know, one that's not afraid to pull out chainsaws once in a while.
0: <laughs> up next, we had a video package for Jonathan Gresham versus Claudio at ring of honor, death before dishonor for the world championship. So I'm
1: really glad that we're starting to get more and more video packages like this. And I mean, AEW does a really good job with them. So um, it's kind of ridiculous that we don't see more of them. Uh Like last week, they did a really good job hyping up the main events, you know, the tag team three way. Uh, but this week, Like we didn't get anything for the Jericho Kingston barbed wire match, which is weird because that's a a few, what, like five, six months in the making. So there's a lot of, like a lot of ground that they could have covered. So I don't know. I just wish there was more consistency with like how they like plug their main events and everything. I think it would go a long way, especially since on like shows like, you know, the row two, which they do pretty much weekly, I believe. They kind of put together this, these video packages already. So they already exist on YouTube, so why mm-hmm. not like take some edited form of that and throw them on like Dynamite? Because they do a great job with the, those Row Two shows. So, I mean, I don't understand why you're not utilizing that material that already exists.
0: Well, again, it just seems like they expect you to watch everything on every different device. And, you know, they think that you're going to be a mega fan and go to the YouTube channel and check out all the promos there. Stuff like that. But
1: if you give us an edited version of it and you say from road two, you know, that tells me Mm -hmm. that that show exists because some people just might not know that that's even a thing. Right.
0: <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. So it
1: kind of works both ways, right? Like, you know, highlight it once in a while on your show, and then people might in turn watch more of your product elsewhere. You know, and at the same time, you're hyping up your main event, which this should all be revolving around anyway.
0: Well, up next we had a celebration for the AEW World Tag Team Champions swerve in our glory. So a lot of people had a problem with this segment. Um
1: I don't know. It was cute. I mean, this is kind of like wrestling one oh one. Yeah. I was fine with it. I mean, I thought it did a good job getting like your new tag team champions like over, showing that, you know, they're connected to some celebrities and everything. And, you know, showing that you know celebrities are at your show and making it look like you're the hot show to attend right now. Cause that's you know, the, the entire reason you have celebrity involvement. So
0: it was well, Exactly. And Swerve has been doing this. Like he's been bringing different you know people to the back. He'll have a backstage yes. segment with different celebrities there. You know, that's just what he's been doing with his game Yeah. Like he's got this like entourage
1: of different like producers uh-huh. and musicians around him. So I feel like it's par for the course. Like I didn't mind. I know a, a lot of people took issues with uh, Gates knocking out Tony Nese. It was a sucker punch, whatever. I'm fine with it. I mean, Mm. you could have done it with Mark Sterling and protected me a little, but it is what it is. I mean, usually I do have a problem with celebrities like going over on wrestlers, but that feels like a thing nowadays that I just have to get over. (laughs) Especially since we have like Logan Paul, you know, uh, you know, Penny Mysterios on the other channel. Uh, But
0: whatever. It is what it is. This was remember. Bad Bunny gave us one of like the best matches (laughs) for wwe last year (laughs) it was one of the best celebrity matches yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) the roster would have some serious problems if that was one of the best matches Uh (laughs) (laughs) although i will argue the whole jackass match like stole wrestlemania right Fair enough. And that was last year, right? (laughs) Uh So, yeah, I mean, that was that. I think that was one of the best WrestleMania moments we got in a while. So Uh,
0: up next, we had John Silver and Alex Reynolds getting in a kind of a skirmish here with uh, the Butcher and the Blade backstage uh, after showing them Butch T-shirts. Yeah.
1: Hangman Page came out and made the save. Mm -hmm. Um It was a little weird and awkward, but I feel like everything that John Silver's part of is a little weird and awkward, and that's just kind of his gimmick. Uh, (laughs) It just felt like more of a reason to set up and establish that Hangman Page is still hanging out with, you know, the Dark Order and to set up this match on rampage i don't know if you're following uh bte but they did um once again tease you know a young bucks adam page reunion on the show uh, after their tag team title loss uh they showed page kind of waiting in the back um and then once he sees them he kind of rushes off so i mean after last week where we saw matt like you know texting or you know, writing a text to uh, hangman kind of apologizing and then erasing it it definitely feels like some sort of reunion is on the horizon for you know the elite i'm just not sure exactly what that's going to look like especially if omega as rumored is actually returning so
0: well up next we had christian cage with luchasaurus defeating the varsity blondes griff garrison and Brian Pillman Jr. Yeah, basically,
1: Christian made Luchasaurus do all the heavy lifting, and then he tagged himself in to get the pin, and then decided to sit on Luchasaurus's shoulders, Jungle Boy style. Uh, Yes, which I absolutely loved that moment. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, looked hilarious, uh, especially since Christian's like six foot three or something like that. Uh-huh. So <laughs> uh, but then, uh, you know, cue up Jungle Boy's music. He makes his, you know, grand return. The crowd pops. Uh, Luchasaurus is standing in his way and then moves out of it uh, to the surprise of everyone. Jungle Boy smirks and then makes a run for Christian, who is like halfway up the stance. <laughs> By the time this all happens, although at one point it did feel like Jungle Boy had to slow down (laughs) because he was just that much faster than Christian. Um, Uh So I don't know if this means like this whole storyline of, you know, Luchasaurus being an evil dinosaur now is over. Um, That's kind of what it felt like. I mean, I guess this could be a swerve on Christian's part. Um, You know, we could see Luchasaurus attack Jungle Boy at some point, um, you know, setting up a match between those two because it felt like, okay, well, this Jungle Boy, you know, Christian feud, it's big enough to go to all out. And I thought, okay, Mm -hmm. well, in the meantime, you know, you set up something between Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. And then after Jungle Boy goes through Luchasaurus, then, you know, he earns his match with Christian. Um but I don't know. I mean, maybe Tony Khan saw what I was kind of complaining about last week and didn't feel like Luchasaurus's turn was really working. He just doesn't have that like killer instinct, um, you know, and it felt like he was really just kind of going through the motions. And maybe that was a storyline thing. You know, I don't know. Or maybe they decided to change directions once they realized that this was probably a mistake. Um so, I I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens next in the next chapter of this feud.
0: You know, if it was storyline-based, I just feel like, you know, the nuances were missed because you have this tall character in a mask. You can't really get a lot of his facial expressions and stuff like that. And Luchasaurus wasn't doing much to show... You know, whether or not he was really working with Christian in, in any type of physical man. Like I
1: said, yeah, because it felt like, he, you know, Christian was supposed to be sticking, uh Luchasaurus on people, but then Luchasaurus uh-huh. would just get in the ring and do his, you know, usual shtick. I know he developed, like, a new, like, finisher that was supposed to echo Jungle Boys, um, but I don't know. It really didn't really seem to click at all to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, I mean, Tony Khan, I'll give him credit when something isn't working. He's not afraid to, you know, change it. So maybe, you know, this is just another example of that.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, I want them if even if they're making a mistake, I want them to try something because I didn't feel like they they gave Luchasaurus and Christian a chance to
1: really. Would it make you feel better if you had like some kind of like brief conversation between like Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy kind of explaining exactly what happened?
0: yeah absolutely yeah
1: so maybe they do some kind of like vignette backstage or something you know where like jungle boy's scolding you know luchasaurus Uh because right now he just feels like a big dumb dog who just like follows whoever's holding his leash right (laughs) jungle boy his old master shows up you know gets in his face and right away he backs down and obeys jungle boy so you'd hope that they would give the character a little more depth than that.
0: I think I, I probably just was expecting more out of this than I was ever going to get. And, you know, it's just one of those situations where I was like, I thought maybe there would be a like a small period where both of them are just apart, you know, where you know, Luchasaurus yeah. can go for a singles run and, you know, Jungle Boy can go for a singles run and then maybe something yeah. brings and them I back together. and I think that's where
1: they're going. I mean, they gave him like a new mask, they gave him brand new music mm-hmm. and everything so if this was really just a three-week, you know, heel turn, it really does feel like something where they decided to change course. Because it it, it doesn't make any sense for them to go all out like this for, you know, a three-week program. Um, You know, I I could see them eventually doing a turn like this, you know, maybe months down the line. But this was way too fast um, for it to make sense story-wise. So, I mean, I agree 100%, but I mean... Christian is also a Weasley bastard so I mean this might be all part of his master plan you know who knows at this point we also might be just putting way too much credence in a storyline involving a giant man dressed up like a dinosaur also
0: so he's billions of years old dang. sure all sure right. <laughs> up next we had the gun club in the back um, stating that they want to do a one-on-one rap battle with Max Caster don't know why they would want to do that, but uh, whoever wins will get to pick the stipulations of the match that they will have eventually. Sure, <laughs> I'm sure this is going to
1: take place on Rampage. I'm sure it's going to be fun. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it is what it is, right? Like this feels like a Rampage feud, absolutely. You know, or even like a Dark Elevation feud. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I'm invested in it. I will say that
0: I've enjoyed it so far. I mean, I'll watch the segment, that's for sure. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But all right, up next we had the FTW Championship match between Ricky Starks and Cole Carter. Ricky Starks holding on to that title for another week. So yeah, like I said before, um, Cole Carter
1: didn't do much to impress me. Um, You know, I thought Starks maybe gave him a little too much, um, Mm -hmm. especially since we don't even know if this dude signed (laughs) um, but, uh, you know, and that wouldn't be a problem if he gave him a lot and, you know, he was, you know, like this up and coming prospect that was super impressive, but that's not the case. Like this guy still feels rather green and, you know, definitely needs more seasoning. So it just it felt like a strange setup for a match. I would like once again like I'm not sure why this wasn't taking place on like dark or elevation. I also just don't know how much this did for Ricky in the long run. Also, since this is a guy who just got fired off the other show, you know, to have him like show up and put up such a fight against you know mm-hmm. one of your you know, quote unquote champions seems a little ridiculous, but whatever. Like I said, like if he showed a lot of promise or something, I'd get it. But, you know, I just don't at this point. Uh, Ricky did end up getting the win, though, with a pretty nice looking spear. Uh, After the match, um, Starks, you know, said that he had one more on the tank. uh, And, you know, he basically, you know, put out another open challenge. uh, And then out came my guy Danhausen to a huge pop. Um, You know, Starks then backed down and said that he'd have to wait to next week for the match, uh, you know, which got thunderous boos. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did like his line about, well, you can watch it on TV, guys. (laughs) 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 No one ever points that out to like the home crowd, right? Uh (laughs) Um, I feel like this is probably a setup for some kind of feud between Starks and Hook. Um, I'm guessing something happens where Hook has to come out to help Danhausen and then you have those two. You know, Starks and um, Hook, you know, come face to face. Now, even though we haven't seen Hook and Danhausen together in a couple weeks, they did mention last week in a so-called interview in the back with Hook that he should be in line right now for some title shots since you know he's undefeated. So I could see his first title program, you know, coming here, you know, between him and Stark over, you know, Hook's dad's belt. So yes. it just feels like the perfect, you know, program for him to start off with. You know, the first real program for him to start off in. Um, so I wouldn't be
0: surprised at all if that doesn't happen. Or, or Danhausen, FTW champion. I would love to see it, but I doubt it.
1: <laughs> Especially since he'd have to call the belt something else since he doesn't swear. And how DTW championship? Well, the, I'm sure he would keep the initials. It'd just like turn it to like the fuzzy, the fuzzy turtle oh. walrus belt or something stupid like that.
0: <laughs> Up next, we had a backstage segment with Chris Statlander, Athena and Willow Nightingale with Athena pretty much stating that she wants to go after the TBS title while Chris Statlander goes after the women's world title. It's like, oh, is that how it works? Like, I, Athena I can just declare that? <laughs> like, <laughs> it feels so weird storyline-wise. Like,
1: okay, I'm going to go after this belt. You should go after the title belt. You know, that way we don't have to fight or anything. Um, exactly. I was like, is that it? Like, is Statlander done with this feud now? <laughs> I guess the intern baddie, something must have happened. I don't know she felt, you know, ill or something. Because the match was announced earlier that day. And then all of a sudden they changed
0: it. So it was very WWE. Um, It was on the show. They did it on the show, too. She was still on the card. Oh, really? On the show itself? Yeah, because when I was watching, they showed a picture of her still in the match. And they hadn't announced it yet. Oh, that's weird. Until around this segment. Yeah, so So, I don't know what happened. But yeah, no. um, I mean, when it comes to Statlander, I hope
1: that's not the way they write her out of this feud. Because that'd be pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I doubt that's going to be the case but i am glad that we're actually starting to get like some matches you know out of Mm. this program instead of just a bunch of run-ins because that's pretty much what's been happening over the last and
0: then up next we had a promo in the ring from ftr about their upcoming match with the briscoes jesus christ
1: like they're just the ultimate baby faces this fucking promo by Dax about his daughter was just amazing Mm. I was
0: like holy shit
1: (laughs) Uh, great fucking promo I mean like took me by surprise I was like where is he going with this and he was like talking so fast so you could you know kind of feel like he was nervous but then like once you realize what was going on holy shit it was just a masterpiece I mean I loved it I think it's gonna go down as one of the best promos of you know this year Um, they even have a shirt out already it says yes. FTR fight like an eight year old girl, <laughs> just amazing stuff. Really well done. And to top things off, you know, it did get me more excited for this, you know, match between FTR and the Briscoes on the ROH, you know, pay-per-view coming up this weekend. Um, you know, which is saying a lot because I mean, it, Tony's kind of like, you know, backed into a quarter because he can't have the Briscoes on the show. Mm-hmm. So and I guess the Briscoes are actually under full time contracts with ROH now uh, that came out uh, from the press conference, the ROH press conference that Khan did earlier today. So um, I thought that was interesting. But yeah, no. So he he really has to kind of like jump through hoops to
0: get like this program going over on TV. Because it, it almost felt like for a moment there like they were going to come out on on screen i was like there's no way that they can." but this felt like an opportunity for them to interrupt yeah i mean
1: i could see this match actually closing out the show um i feel like Mm -hmm. it only makes sense honestly i mean they had such an epic showdown you know last pay-per-view um Yeah, I feel like this is probably the most like highly anticipated match on the card. And I really don't see anything being able to follow it, especially since it's like two out of three falls. So since the Bucks interfered in the last match between these two teams, do you think they interfere again? I
0: I think there's a possibility. It depends on where they're going, if they want the Young Bucks versus, you know, uh, FTR at All Out or not. I don't I don't know if that's the plan.
1: Yeah, I mean, because they did like the last time it did set up a match between FTR and the Young Bucks. Bucks um shortly afterwards. Um mm-hmm. at this point, it doesn't feel like they're going in that direction, especially since the Bucks just lost the AEW title uh titles. And then we do know that, you know, it seems like there's something going on between like them and Hangman, and there's the rumor that Kenny Omega might be coming back soon. So mm-hmm. it just I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's in the cards right now, even though everyone just kind of assumed it was like a done deal for all out, you know, FTR versus the bucks for all the belts. Um which I mean they they could honestly save to full gear or something like that. I'm sure there'll be some kind of match between the two teams uh by the end of the year. Um it's just more of a case of when
0: and where. Also just gotta find out whenever Ring of Honor is gonna have a deal with the show. Cause like if they had a certified deal on some network or if they're going to a streaming thing, I could see the Briscoes winning this one. You know, getting the titles back and then starting off the show with the briscoes with i don't the know titles, i still but. feel
1: like we're headed towards you know fdr capturing you know all the belts you know even if it's not from the bucks like i could see them beating you mm-hmm. know swerve to your glory or swerve what god damn it christian what is it swerve in your glory <laughs> okay well, yeah, exactly. we're in your
0: glory or an <laughs> hour glory or whatever i
1: love the team but whatever get a new name um i could see that you know ending up being like You know, the all-out match, uh, which I'd be fine with. That's great, because you still get that moment with FTR, like, you know, holding up all the titles. I mean, at this point, they're so over. They really deserve to be the first team to, like, pull it off. And maybe then that could lead into the feud between FTR and the Young Bucks.
0: Speaking of Ring of Honor, we had a moment with Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and Satnam Singh in the back. You know, again, promoting their Ring of Honor Television Championship match. Uh, and then Christopher Daniels showed up to challenge him for a fight at On Rampage. It's just so weird that like we don't even get like a like
1: video package with Joe, you know, answering all these challenges. Like, I mean, do you think it's a choice mm-hmm. for them to hold Joe off until the pay per view? Because um, you would think that like when push comes to shove, they'd want like Joe on the show promoting the match. <laughs>
0: It just feels so strange and disjointed. I don't know. I mean, it's not doing much for me to see again another promo from Jay Lethal with no zero zero anything you know even if they wanted to throw together a video package of their own just showing you know the force of you know reckoning that is joe you're talking about a zero anything from joe right yeah. like any kind of mm-hmm. response
1: yeah it feels like deja vu like at least have them featured in a match mm-hmm. you know and i know I, i'm sure they're working ma- i think they've worked a match or two on like rampage you know and uh, and obviously dark but, like, give them a dynamite match. Do something to, like, hype this up a little more. I mean, I know, I, I guess they're going to do that on Friday show, you know, between uh, you know, Jay Lethal and uh, Christopher Daniels. So, but it just feels too little too late.
0: Up next, we had Athena and Willow Nightingale going up against Jade Cargill and Kira Hogan. Cargill getting the win. The match was okay. Uh, I really like
1: Willow Nightingale. I'd like to see mm-hmm. her like get a full time contract with AEW. I know she worked the ROH pay per view and everything like that, but she just has a great like charismatic personality, um, you know, and just feels like the ultimate baby face. Uh, You know, even though she's completely over the top, like to the point where it's like, is she going to turn heel here or something like that? (laughs) But I think that's just her personality. Uh Uh, Yeah, but I really dig her. So I'd love to see more of her on the show. Uh, But yeah, no, I, I liked the back and forth we had between Athena and Jade like trading like blows in the middle of the ring Uh, i thought that was well done and really put there to really you know set up a tease you know for a match you know somewhere you know down the line hopefully soon perhaps all out maybe it just feels so far away especially since like this program really started when athena debuted i know we had like forbidden door in between but
0: it's been like almost like two to three months right I guess, yeah. But who's going to be the one to take, you know, finally beat Cargill, you know? I don't think it's going to be Athena, Mm. honestly.
1: I think, you know, if anyone, it's going to be Satlander. So, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. They just haven't done enough to, like, showcase Athena in that light yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that's a booking problem, and that's the direction that they're actually headed in. Um, I don't know. I would just be really surprised at this point if Athena does end up going over, Jay.
0: Uh, since we are continuing on with the women's division, we have Thunderstorm <laughs> backstage talking again with Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter. Don't poke the bear, Christian. I, I <laughs> ranted
1: long enough last episode about this. But once again, this is in the second quarter mm-hmm. of the second hour. Um, whatever. Uh, but yeah, now this... Is another segment that feels like deja vu. I feel like we've seen this like every other week, you know, between these two teams. And before this, it was like every other week between, you know, Brit and Thunder, Um, you know, when they were in the middle of their program. um, I'm just so surprised that they've, you know, went back to the well once again with these two. Um, Is AEW setting up a tag team division for the women?
0: I don't know. It feels it, like that's like that's the vibe I got from last week, too. I was like, are right? they doing something, especially with Anna Jay and Ty Conti? Mm-hmm. But we'll get more into that.
1: Yeah, we've got a lot of like tag teams forming right mm-hmm. now. So I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't something in the works. Um, And we know that Tony Khan loves to just make belts to make belts, apparently. Uh, There was a story this week that I guess the All-Atlantic belt was made quite a long time ago. (laughs) So, and then apparently he also has the Trios belts already made and ready to go. Just
0: hanging out at his house.
1: Apparently, maybe he walks around with them backstage wearing all three,
0: um, but it, it, I would have put it past
1: him. Uh, but yeah, so I it really does feel like we're going down that road, though, you know, which I'm all for as long as we feature the women in more than just one match per dynamite. You know, I mean, basically they get one match on dynamite and one match on rampage. I mean, you gotta at least give them like two to three matches, you know, on each show at this point. I mean, if you wanna have three belts, like, that's the only way this division's gonna get over with the audience. Because at this point, like, optics wise, it just feels like the women are treated like an afterthought. They just kind of like group them all together, you know?
0: In this quarter hour. Up next, again, poor Excalibur had to go through three different shows worth of uh, things coming up. Yeah, it doesn't mean we have to. No, no. no.
1: <laughs> By the time this podcast drops, I mean, Rampage has already aired. Exactly. So.
0: Uh, the only thing that is noteworthy is that next week we'll have Yamashita versus Thunder Rosa and Ricky Starks versus Dan Housen for the FTW Championship.
1: And I'm sure, you know, before then, we'll have a handful of other announcements. I think they even teased that during um, the ROH pay-per-view, they're going to announce more matches for Dynamite. Oh, OK. <laughs> which I thought was a little weird. I was like, are you that desperate for people to get those pay-per-views that you're going to hold off on the Dynamite card?
0: You know? <laughs> But speaking of a little odd, we had the barbed wire everywhere match with Chris Jericho defeating Eddie Kingston. All right. So before I completely bury this match, because
1: that's what I'm going to do, I did like how the match started, you know, with Kingston, like beating Jericho over the head with the barbed wire microphone that he Mm. got from Justin Roberts. Thought that was a great way to start the match, Um, you know, and, uh, you know, some of the stuff in the ring worked fine. Um, it's just once again a case of AEW overbooking shit. Like there was way too much gaga going on. I mean, before the match starts, we see Ruby. Um, she's, you know, on the outside, you know, with a remote control. Apparently they put, you know, this one armed woman who's injured in charge (laughs) of the shark cage for some unknown reason. She also has the key to it. Um, it made literally no sense. They didn't like specify, oh, this is a way for Ruby to get back at, you know, against Jericho's gang. It was just kind of noted and then they moved on. Mm -hmm. So like right away. Like if you've been watching wrestling for any length of time whatsoever, you know exactly what the fuck's gonna happen. Someone's gonna get that remote from Ruby yeah. and lower the shark cage. <laughs> Another issue I had was there wasn't barbed wire everywhere. Like I hated the fact that there was a side of the ring that didn't have barbed wire on the ropes. And I understand that it was the hard camera side, and that was, you know, to, you know, ensure that they could get a good shot of the action in the ring. Mm. But I've seen plenty of barbed wire matches before where they haven't had to do that and they still get their shots in. While in the match itself, I did feel like they had some, like, good spots to start off. There was a really nice, like, exploder suplex that Kingston hit. Um, They both did a really good job of, like, selling the barbed wire and everything. Mm -hmm. It just felt to me, strangely enough, like they didn't get enough time. Because it felt like like it was maybe five minutes into the match that you had, like... Ty Conti coming out, attacking Ruby, you know, with the aid of, you know, Anna J who turned heel for some reason. Uh, (laughs) I know they kind of set it up last week with their conversation backstage, but it's like, does that really need to take place here? Like, do we (laughs) need that here in the middle of this match? Like that uh, this match that has had like seven months of buildup, like we don't need some like weird heel turn that really has nothing to do with your ongoing feud um, to just be kind of shoehorned in the middle of this match um, so I, it, it just it was infuriating and then like Ty gets the key from Ruby she goes to the fucking shark cage after she lowers it down and she can't open the fucking door. <laughs> I was like and are you serious <laughs> instead of like right away like taking the camera off of her they go ahead and they zoom in on the guys in the cage, literally escaping like through the bars. Uh huh. Just completely like negating the cage itself. <laughs> you know, like three years in, this kind of shit is just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Like it was kind of cute and charming that first year, but now it's just like, come on. Like, are you guys not doing walkthroughs before these matches? Like, when you have this many moving parts, you have to do some sort of, like, you know, TV walkthrough so you know exactly how to shoot this shit. And, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, like, they need to get a better prop department. <laughs> like, there's no reason, uh-huh. you know, to keep on having shit like this happen. Like, no one thought to have, like, an extra key or just not, like, have it not be a real lock, yeah. you know? <laughs> like, there's so many ways to solve this problem. You know, uh, so anyway, moving on, you have, you know, Jericho's cronies now in the middle of the ring beating down Kingston. This ends up resulting in, you know, Kingston's crew made up of, you know, Ortiz and the Blackpool uh, Combat Club coming out, basically chasing off the heels. Uh, You know, the match goes on. Uh, we get a spot where it looks like Jericho, or I think it's actually been confirmed that Jericho broke his nose, um, where the chair just kind of goes right into his fucking face. Uh. Um, also, like that chair with the barbed wire was maybe it was like extremely heavy or something because it felt like Jericho was having a hard time, like swinging that thing at the end. I don't know if he was like pulling his shots or, you know, if he was just exhausted and it was just that heavy with all the barbed wire on. Did you catch that? It's just like the like shots at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt I'm talking weird. More, it, it, it looked felt weird. It really weak. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, before, you know, in the middle of the match, that wasn't the case. So I don't know why he would be pulling his blows at all. Um, so I was just wondering if it's just more of a case of him being exhausted. Because I can't imagine, like, him being afraid to hit Kingston with a barbed wire chair like that guy fucking you know eats that shit for lunch so. exactly uh but anyway uh eventually jericho goes to hit uh his line salt but uh kingston tosses the chair into jericho's face um kingston then goes ahead and he hits his uh back fist uh he gets a nice near fall um You know, he pulls out the barbed wire and he puts him in the stretch plum uh, after wrapping it around him. It looks like he's about to get Jericho to, like, tap out. But then who arrives? But, you know, Sammy fucking Guevara, which, you know, once I saw he wasn't in the cage, it felt like, you know, obvious that he was going to come out and interfere somehow. I mean, he's been selling his injuries from the blood and guts match where he fell off the cage, which, you know, it is what it is. Mm Um I appreciate that at least, but it just was like, no one mentioned him and it felt like, okay. So it felt like, okay, he's going to make some kind of return and interfere in the match. Um, And that's exactly what happened. I will say like, I did half expect, uh, Brian Danielson to show up, you know, and make a return, especially since Jericho like name dropped him last week, you know, bragging about how he took him out and put Mm -hmm. him on like, you know, the injury list, um, but that didn't happen. You know, I felt like that was going to be, like, a, another, like, big moment in this match, especially since they already had so many moving parts. <laughs> uh, you know, and maybe they would set something up between, like, him and Kingston, you know, for down the line, you know, especially since, you know, those two almost went at it, you know, during their, the uh, Anarchy in the Arena match uh, when Kingston poured the gasoline all yeah. over <laughs> Which is just insane to even say out loud.
0: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: but anyway, uh but anyway, Jericho ends up getting the win after he hits the Judas effect uh with his arm wrapped up in barbed wire. So after the match, I don't know what the hell happened. It was like a huge clusterfuck. Um but Kingston was supposed to hit, I think, Sammy with his back fist but then missed and then Jericho and Sammy like got wrapped up in each other's arms and (laughs) went into the corner anyway. Like it was weird. Like I was like, what is going on? It was just totally, you know, botched and just looked awkward as all hell. Um, Unfortunately, I think the crowd was so taken aback by the fact that, you know, Kingston lost the match that, you know, it just kind of took the air out of the arena. Mm -hmm. Um, because they weren't reacting to anything. But then, like, they try to save face for Kingston and they have him throw Jericho into a box of barbed wire on the outside of the ring, which could have been a cool spot if this, like, bed of barbed wire actually looked impressive. Instead, like, there was, like, three or four strands of barbed wire going across this, like, you know, wooden, you know, whatever, doohickey that they set up. Um, And after the, you know, we saw Jericho going back first into ropes, you know, wrapped in barbed wire, it just really, I don't know, it didn't do what they wanted it to do. Like, Jericho sold it well, like, at the end of the show, like, he's literally convulsing, you know, laying on these, like, couple strands of barbed wire, Uh but- I don't think it had the effect that they wanted it to have in the long run. It was just a real, like, flat finish for an ill-conceived, overbooked nightmare of a match that saw, like, the wrong guy go over. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this feud all started off with, you know, a babyface versus babyface match with mm-hmm. Kingston getting the win And Jericho, you know, refusing to shake his hand. So this entire program felt like it was all revolving around, you know, Kingston getting his respect, you know, and finally, like, winning, like, a big program. Because that's all kind of like how this started with Jericho saying you can't, like, win the big one. Yeah. And the program ends with Kingston after... God, what, six months? And I know they had a lot of, like, you know, stops and starts because, you know, Kingston got injured. Mm -hmm. Um, But after six months, Kingston doesn't get the big win, you know? I mean, he had a few, you know, nice wins throughout this, like, feud and everything. But at the end of the day, it's Jericho who got his hand raised, which I don't understand. Because, I mean, in fairness, like, Jericho's doesn't seem to have a problem with putting people over. He's lost plenty of matches. I mean, if you think about it, not only did he lose to Kingston, but he lost to Santana also, Mm -hmm. like, during this program, you know? So it it doesn't feel like it has to do with Jericho feeling like he needs to go over, or, like, politics or something like that, uh, which makes me feel like maybe they're trying to save Jericho for, you know, Moxley, uh, possibly, like, or they're setting up Jericho for something bigger down the line, Um, where they felt like for some reason that he needed this win. But I would argue that Jericho would have been fine in losing this match and he would be able to recover and still have enough heat and steam to start another big program. Um, So I don't know. I don't know what this does for Kingston. Um, But I can tell you right
0: now, it doesn't feel like much. I'm I'm just telling you, like I said before, like episodes ago, they're just going to stretch it out. I think they're just going to continue pushing this program until all out. Like, I feel like that's what's been going on this whole time. (laughs) You know, they keep giving Jericho more excuses and, you know, reasons to keep this thing alive. You know, like, oh, okay, I won again. They can just do a promo next week saying, man, yeah, you can't get the big one. It's all can revolve right back to that one. I would give you a
1: small chance of that maybe happening if they didn't like mention over and over again that this was the final match last week.
0: Sure, but it doesn't feel this is the most unsatisfying end to this feud possible. Oh, no, I 100% agree, but that's due to
1: shitty booking. That wasn't on purpose. <laughs> I think in their eyes, they thought they were doing almost like that WWE thing that I hate, where, like, you know, it's 50 50 booking, you know, where, yeah, your babyface lost, but, you know, he had the last say, you know, in the match and, you know, his music got to play at the end. Like, it, it just. It felt very WWE at the end of the day. So it's unfortunate. And maybe, you know, maybe they, you know, change course and they're like, well, that sucked. We need to do something to recover here. And they had Jericho get stretchered out like after the cameras went off the air. So I don't know, man, like I could see like Kingston, you know, ending up like in some kind of feud with like, you know, Claudio or even like, you know, Danielson when he gets back. You know, because that felt like that was definitely in the cards. I don't know if this loss maybe puts Kingston on a darker path and we see some kind of, like, heel turn out of him where, you know, he starts blaming other people because it definitely felt like they were setting up something between him and Claudio with Claudio, like, you know, stealing that moment from Kingston. Um, like, you know, Kingston could turn around and say, I didn't, you know, I didn't even need to have this match if, you know, if you didn't get in the way at, you know, Blood and Guts. So... I mean, there's a lot of different directions they could go with Kingston. I mean, there's a lot of different directions you can go with Kingston, especially if he does all of a sudden have more of an edge to his character and he's even more of an in-betweener than ever before. I mean, with a punk, you know, a CM Punk coming back eventually, I mean, who's to say we don't get a program between those two? I mean, Punk's been making like subtle digs at Kingston, you know, since he's joined AEW and I know they have their one match, but he's continued to do so. And I mean, that's all purposeful. You know, that's going to end up turning into a program eventually. Um, And we do know they have that big show in New York. So, I mean, maybe Kingston, you know, gets a big match with Punk in New York.
0: It would have been real cool if like Kingston had won the interim championship and it would have been Punk versus Kingston trying to determine who would have been champion. I think that would have been a more interesting storyline than Moxley versus Punk. Yeah, cuz
1: there's more of a story there, mm-hmm. right? Um where there's not really much heat between Moxley and Punk. Although they're both skilled performers, so I'm sure they'll stir something up. Mm. Um and who knows, maybe Kingston goes after Moxley. You know, maybe you do get, you know, Kingston winning that belt from Moxley. I doubt it. Um and then you do have that match between, you know, Kingston and Punk, you know, when he comes back. Um, You know, it, it sounds like that's probably not going to happen, especially since it's like Punk is, you know, slated to be coming back before All Out. So that just feels almost too soon. Um, mm. But I'd love to see Kingston maybe on a tirade after losing this match. And that's kind of the direction they're headed in, like where he's got something really to prove. And it's like Kingston against the world. Um, I think
0: that'd be an awesome direction for him. Uh, but to bring it back to the match uh, that happened today, I just think. I could get over a lot of, you know, the excessive Gaga if there had been an extra 10 minutes before that of just pure fighting between Jericho and um, Kingston. I think that that just would have been a, the easy answer to all the extra bullshit that they put in the match.
1: No, I agree. I, I agree. They just didn't have enough time. Like the match was overstuffed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're trying to do way too much with way too little time. So I I think an extra like 10, 15 minutes would have gone a long way. I mean, it still was a bit of a clusterfuck, especially at the end. And like I said, I think part of the reason why the match just felt so flat was the wrong guy went over, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to give like Tony the benefit of the doubt and maybe they have something cool in store story wise, you know, for both guys. It just I just don't see how that's possible right now it just, you know, a lot of times a W can be very predictable, but that's not a bad thing when it makes sense for the story that you're mm-hmm. trying to tell, um, you know, sure, once in a while, they'll, sh- you know, throw you a curveball here and there, but usually that's a good thing this just didn't feel that way at all. Like this just felt like half-assed booking where they're trying to, you know, protect both guys, you know, for some reason and AEW, what makes them different is they don't usually go the 50, 50 booking route. Um, but that's what really happened here.
0: Yeah. I guess after this it's, you know, fight for the fallen, which for some reason they have to have another event after this event. But, uh, after this, it's the road to all out, and we'll see if any who's going to be there at this point.
1: Yeah, hopefully everyone stays healthy, and you know we actually have some big returns in store. You know
0: because they, they, they definitely need it. That's the terrifying part about all this. It's like they keep saying all these wrestlers are going to be back in time, but what if they're not? <laughs> You're right. I mean that is frightening.
1: <laughs> so, um luckily they have such a giant roster where you know I'm just starting to now feel, like, the loss of, like, some of the bigger names. Because if you think about it, I mean, Kenny Omega hasn't been on the show for eight months. Like, that's it's crazy, crazy yeah. right? Um But their roster is so stacked that, you know, it really hasn't been felt until, like, recently. So, I mean... I don't know. Apparently, Adam Cole has said that he's on his way back soon. So and it looks like Punk is, you know, hopefully, you know, going to be returning also. Um, Yeah, I mean, the one that worries me the most is probably Brian Danielson, just because the nature of his injury. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, you know, knock on wood, he's able to get healthy and, you know, he's also ready to go.
0: Yeah, we'll learn more as the weeks go on. But for today, that does it for wrestling. Well, that does it for this week. That's
1: right. And as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember
0: to subscribe, rate, and give us a five-star review. Exactly. It sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the
1: stories we talked about on this week's episode, make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter
0: to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more. That's right. You can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday.
1: Want to support the show further? you can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing nerd show merch. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States. Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? All right, so next week, we'll have all the news coming out of San Diego
0: Comic-Con, and we'll also have a film review for Note. Plus, we'll be talking AEW's Fight for the Fallen. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. You're all going to die down
1: here. I've heard that
0: before.